Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Robbie here, and in this episode, I'm joined by Lucia Baldelli and joined slash rejoined by Claire Pedrick. Um, every coach has a human story, and these stories contain the wisdom, vulnerability, and invaluable lessons that inform our work. In this episode of the Coach's Journey podcast, Claire and Lucia share some of the human stories that have shaped their lives and careers leading them to become master certified coaches and co-authors of a powerful new book. That book is The Human Behind the Coach. And it's about the inner work we need to do to cultivate a simpler practice and to demonstrate art in the coaching room. It's a guide to the principles that inform a more human approach to coaching that is not bound by tools or hacks, but allows for a natural process and a letting go. The vibrant dynamic between Claire and Lucia gave rise to this book, and it shines through in the episode as they share it with infectious enthusiasm about their passion for transformative coaching work with individuals, teams, and organizations. We get into so much. Um, we start with Lucia's journey, and then we get into the book from, from many different angles, how it came about and, and how it might apply. Um, it, amongst many other things, we talk about how agile methodologies help people adapt to change, the importance of holding endings, the times when it's appropriate to break the rules, how we navigate fundamental differences between our beliefs and values and those of our clients, and the power of being able to sit with not knowing. Um, and Claire and Lucia also discuss their virtual book launch, which is taking place on Monday the 13th of November at 6pm UK time, and which every listener of the show is invited to. Um, you can find a link if you head to thecoachesjourney.com slash podcast, click on the, the page for this episode, um, if it's before the 13th of November at 6pm 2023, of course. Um, and there's a link there to get details. And there'll be a link also in, in should be a link wherever else you might be listening. Um, so that's an invite for anyone who's listening to the show, part of who's part of the wider Coach's Journey community. If you're interested in becoming part of the Coach's Journey community in a, in a tighter way, um, then you might be interested in, in one of a couple of ways to support the show. So one is to become a supporter of the podcast. That is to give a small amount of money every month um, in return for various benefits. Uh, and that money goes towards helping the Coach's Journey podcast continue to exist, um, to grow, um, and to reach more people, on, on which more in a, in a minute or two. Um, and you might also be interested in becoming part of the Coach's Journey community, which is my flexible group coaching program designed for people who are coaches who want to take their business to a new level and to thrive as people while they do it. Um, and uh, in these, it includes a number of group coaching calls each year, depending on your level of membership um, and potentially someone on one time with me too. Um, and in that, we get into everything uh, about the human behind the coach, really, uh, about you as a coach, about you as a human and, and how they can support each other to create a thriving business. Um, so thank you to everyone who continues to support the show in either of those ways, but particularly to Alex Witten, David Norris, Joey Owen, Kusum Ravindranath, and Ruth Saville. Um, and yeah, look, I, it, this is a great episode of the show. Um, there's so much in here. People who remember Claire last time will remember she's got lots to say about coaching and, and Lucia's energy is is um, infectious too. And we get into some of their stories about how they wrote the book, some of my favorite bits and the things that I've taken away, how the book could be powerful for people just coming to coaching, but also to people who um, have been coaching for a long time and want to deepen their practice. And, and particularly for me, the second half of the book, um, as we switched into how to be really artful as a coach, felt um, incredibly powerful. So I hope you enjoy this show. As you'll hear me hint, hint near the end, we've got some exciting developments coming with the Coach's Journey podcast, which we'll announce in the December episode. So so definitely come back and check, check that out. We'll have some great guests for that one, multiple guests again in December um, as we look for some exciting new developments in 2024. But before that, 
I hope you enjoy this really wonderful conversation between me, Lucia Baldelli, and Claire Pedrick. Lucia Baldelli and Claire Pedrick, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. It's a great pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you, Robbie. And now I know how tall you are. How do you know? I've met you in real life. Oh, yeah, you do. Since last time you were on the show, you have. Yeah, yeah we, we know how tall each other are. We know, like, what colour we actually are, not distorted by a webcam. You know, I always think sometimes someone's more colourful or less so than when you meet them in real life. Um, yeah, we've been, we've we've met in person many times, actually, since then. And we maybe yes. talk about that a little bit later on. Um because we've, you know, I like to say we, it was mostly you, Claire, have started a movement of coaches' walks based on it. it was, I was there when the idea was had, and then you took it and and ran with it. Um, I'd like to think my excellent company on a walk around the Mulvins was what sparked that idea for you. <laughs> but um, I think it was the fact that you weren't the guy with the little girl in the BMW. That's what sparked yes. it for me. Yeah, two, two men with, with little girls arrived at the same time, and Claire what, what suddenly had to wonder, having never met me in like, real life, am I the kind of person who has a BMW? The answer is... Not yet. Uh, maybe one day. Who knows? <laughs> Claire, I wanted to, this is, uh, to, be, to start very seriously, I wanted to find out, as I know that anyone who is, um, who listened recently to our last conversation will want to know, like, how is your chair and how is your standing desk? Because last time they were both broken when we did an interview. I have a new chair. Okay, good. Glad to hear it. I can't tell you how wonderful my chair is. I can't remember the the brand, but it is it is very it was very expensive it is very beautiful and it was second hand and okay. i can now talk about backwards and forwards conversations without breaking my chair yeah well i mean like anyone who's watching on video can see tantalizingly that it isn't a boring black office chair like mine in fact so is yours Lucia. it's a different color and Claire, this is a weird question to ask but given you mentioned the price do you mind telling us how much it oh very cool yeah people yeah check so this this conversation will go up on youtube um, at some point soon after it, it comes out on the podcast. So you might you might be listening to it before it's then. If you're listening to it a few weeks in, you can go and check that straight away on YouTube. I'm sure people will be leaping straight to do that. Um, like, this is a weird question. So I, maybe it's actually not that interesting how much it actually cost. But like we said last time, it's interesting. It is interesting and important to think about how we're sitting and how we are uh, are when we're doing all this work. Now it's online. Um, I, so. I asked I asked LinkedIn what is the best chair ever and LinkedIn told me they told you that one did they yes and then I looked at the price of it and thought whoa yeah and I bought it second it was 400 pounds second hand but okay. I you know I sit on it all the time yeah yeah per use like per hour per minute is it's probably the best value chair you've you've ever bought like you're gonna have to um after this call if you can't remember what it is find that for us because everyone who um listens now who sits in an office chair all day is going to want to know they're going to want to look at i what i want to do is look at it online now and think i can't quite afford that i can't justify it given i've got a perfectly serviceable chair but when the chair breaks i'm going to want to buy that one so we're definitely going to need to know um linked the the best chair in the world according <laughs> according to linkedin um so we're going to talk today. Um, well, maybe, um, <laughs> Claire, you could say something, actually. So people who heard us talk a year ago, so it's almost exactly just under a year since the last time we, um, this will come out just under a year since the last episode we recorded came out. So it's probably almost exactly a year since we last spoke. Um, and you tantalizingly in that conversation 
um, to explain why there are why there are three people in this conversation, which is quite unusual on this show. It's not the first time, but you tantalizing in that conversation said that the the next book was almost was like was you knew what it was. I can't remember exactly. Like it was all no, it was almost on pre order. I think when we last yeah. spoke, um, and. And then I had in my mind, oh, I probably said it on the show. We'll have to get you back next time when the next book is out. And as this one comes out, the book is almost out. It'll come out in the middle of November 2023, um, but you can pre-order it already. And so I got in touch at some point in the summer saying, let's have another conversation. And you, I, I'm very glad, said like, yes, but we should have Lucia there because this is fantastic because it's, you know, it's a book that's been co-written by the two of you. I can like, I could feel bits of, I, you know, I was very lucky to have read it, read it already. Um, and I could feel bits of Claire in there, and I could feel bits of Lucia in there, which is which is very lovely. I, as a writer, I'm very interested in how that process went, and I definitely want to get that later. And we'll talk a bit about the book. Um, but maybe before we do that, before we even I think people know the title of the book by now, but before we even get to that, Lucia, it'd be great to get to know you a little bit for listeners, because people can go back and listen to the conversation we had on the show before with Claire. But but Lucia, to start us off, often the question we ask, I ask on the show is where did you first come across coaching in the way that we three are going to talk about it today and your book talks about it? I actually literally bumped into coaching. I started my career as an agile team coach. Uh, It was about 20 years ago and I was in Italy. I'm Italian, so I started my career here in Rome. And uh, I was working for IT companies and helping teams become more effective at what they do. And in my journey of personal development, I found out that actually uh, it's all about unleashing potential and helping people to connect better and collaborate better. And so I decided to sign up for a coaching program and I realized that there was so much work I needed to do (laughs) in order to be able to help others in an effective way. And so that's where my journey started. And I guess I can say we'll never end because once we embark in this, uh, it's there's always something new we can discover and there's always something we can do better. Uh, but I became very passionate about the, the personal transformation that we coaches need to go through in order to be able to be effective at what we do. And so this is, you know, uh, you read more about this in the book and this has been uh, uncovered, explored, you know, brought to a deeper level with Claire in our conversations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking, it's funny. I don't think, I, I mean, we're kind of 50 episodes in or something, 50 something episodes in, not all of them are interviews, but I don't think we've actually had anybody who's worked as an, an agile coach before. Although I'm like, I have friends who work like who have followed a similar path to you, but th- did you just say you, you started your career as an agile team coach? Was there a bit before that where you were in IT companies, as a developer or something, or or did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the very first role was a software developer, yeah. and then I I worked uh, to introduce teams to agile methodologies. So I was an extreme programming coach, and then a Scrum coach, and I became a multi-team coach. And, and for people who don't know, I mean, I include myself in that partially. Like I know it mostly from having coached people who do those roles, which is a weird. Uh, for reasons that you kind of get into in the book, actually, like you don't always need to know what people are talking about. Um, and so uh, I don't, I have some knowledge of that picked up from that kind of thing. But yeah, for people who don't know anything, and for me who doesn't know everything, for sure, um, tell us about what those roles are. And also, like, 
why was it because this feels like part of your part of the story probably why was it that you moved from being a developer into those roles helping the teams run so uh, well first agile methodologies are um support software development and not only right now so they're even used outside of IT in infrastructure for example uh but they were born and thought to help um, teams navigate complex environments and a complexity of writing code in an iterative and adaptive way. So it's all about inspecting and adapting, adapting both the way you're creating the product, but also your internal processes. And um, what was the second part of the questions again? Good question. Um, but let's let's like slow down on that first because people will, I think. Um, People will have come across agile methodology or yeah. the, the the things that echo from it. Yeah. Um, in because because Silicon Valley exploded so much and so much of the kind of this is my theory, but this is one where you can definitely tell me if this is wrong because I might be mis knowing what these things are. But it feels like because, for example, so many leadership books have been written by people who have experience of working with that kind of methodology, that you do have these ideas about iterating and um, prototyping and things like that, that uh, working fast, all those things that, yes. that happen elsewhere. Uh, yes. And the concept has been expanded to talk about business agility, which is a very popular topic at the moment. And it's all about developing the resilience, the capability to adapt to uh, changing market conditions, changing customer needs and requirements and so on. And so uh, agile methodologies are meant to support people become faster in responding to change over, you know, following a plan, uh, which is what we were used to do before agile. Yeah. And, and you've used the word kind of complex a few times in this call already. And it's like, you know, the plan is all good until the world changes, which happens all the time, right? So, exactly. so that's one of the things, I guess, that I feel like I've picked up by osmosis and and, and, and things on, on agile methodology or those ideas. Is there, I'm just thinking, is there, what would you recommend for somebody who is a coach who's interested in this, either for their business or to learn more about it in, in some other way, or somebody who's listening? Is there a particular book or resource that's a good place as a starting point for people who want to learn more? Uh, yes, there's a book from Lisa Atkins. Uh, I think it's called Coaching Agile Teams. Nice, um, nice. That could be a nice guide. Yeah. And, yeah. and so how did you, do you remember you were doing this coaching, right? So you were, and it, and it is, you know, it's one of the many ways that the word coaching is used. And sometimes people who come, you know, and I first work with a client, I usually ask them, have you done coaching before? Or what's your experience of coaching to this point? And I do get that answer sometimes that, well, I, we had an agile, we had a coach for our team in that kind of environment. And so it is one of the ways that, that people come across the word coaching in a business environment. Mm -hmm. What is similar about the work you were doing then and what was different when you bumped into this this different way of using or thinking about coaching so uh, the role of an agile coach can switch between coaching mentoring teaching uh, and facilitating and uh, what is very common in the industry is that agile coaches tend to lean more towards the teaching and mentoring um, with some facilitating and there wasn't a lot of awareness about professional coaching in the in the agile space. So this is a huge gap that we're trying to fill in. Uh, when I bumped into coaching, I realized I could I could help much more people by helping them find their own answers rather than 
you know, recommending, particularly for teams who are further ahead in their journey and they're more mature and they have strong relationships, so they are already emotionally intelligent. Um, it's useful to, to wear the coach hat instead of being a mentor or, you know, a teacher. Teachers are not really needed. And so I realized that I had to develop that more. And then after a few years, the impact I could make within an organization was, was so it was greater that I stopped working with agile, agile teams a long time ago and I started to work at the organizational level. Mm. So at the moment, I yeah, I I'm I'm still I still consider myself having having that strong background and people know me because of that, but it's not what I do anymore. I work at the executive level to help organization, you know, change and to help relationship become more effective so that teams can be, you know. Uh, can do better what they need to do yeah and uh, i should have said claire by the way you may not i don't know you, you got to interview lucia on the coaching in recently but if <clears throat> if you want to jump in and ask a question um, by, by all means please do um have you got one no my dad told me it was the worst episode that i'd ever made <laughs> <laughs> did he yeah, because he said you shouldn't have interviewed her. You should have got someone else to do it. So I'm going to shut up. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Like people should check it out. It's really nice. I like the um I like the sense of I just got a real sense of what it must have been like, like the relationship that you've developed over over working together, which we'll which we'll we'll get to. Um, but okay, your dad's advice. Don't ask any I I I trust him. Don't ask any questions, Claire. Uh, stay on mute for the next few minutes. I will. Um <laughs> uh, Lucia, so one of the things I want to check in on, I want to hear a bit more about what you do now for sure, but as we kind of move close to the present, but like, I love that sense. And I think this is a sense for lots of people who come to coaching that, that there's just a, a whether they, you know, if they come from some other sort of almost related thing, whether that's training or, or, or consultancy or something or agile coaching or something different that for those that end up doing more and more coaching, it's partly is because of that thing. It's like the sense of what's possible and the yeah. transformation that's possible when using that this particular weird set of um, you know, frames or attributes that, that that make up coaching. Um, but what? How did you make that transition? So you were—is this right? You were when you were working as an agile coach, you were employed by a particular company mm -hmm. and you were helping their developer teams work well together. And then you found the coaching skills. And what you just started into, you just started doing them a bit first and seeing what happened. And how did that, how did that shift come about? So I, I was working on my personal development. Um, I was on a certification path to become a certified team coach in the agile space. And so I became aware that I, I had to develop that muscle. And so I just signed up to a program and and you know literally bumped into coaching as i said before and there was no way back <laughs> because yeah I, I became passionate about you know uh, helping others tap into their uncovered strengths and uh, and that's what i feel i need to do i don't lean into the mentoring or um or teaching unless i'm teaching a class on coaching you know yeah yeah, yeah. In organization, I am my my dominant stance is the coach, and that's where I feel I need to be. Yeah, it's a lovely framework. That's a lovely phrase, actually. I'm not sure I've heard that before. If 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 I have, and somebody's talking it, but the dominant stance. Yeah. It's like we have these different stances available to us. Yes. And to know to what we're choosing, which one in what space, because even as a coach, like 
if you're like me or like either of you, you end up working with other coaches and you get those moments where what's in service of the person you're working with sometimes is to shift stance. Correct. But the dominant stance is the coach. I think that's a beautiful way of, of putting it at a conversation. Yesterday, I was interviewed on a, on a podcast and we the host was really interested, I think, kind of relatively new to learning about coaching was really interested in how do we apply this for managers you know how do you think about that like how do you change how do you give more reflective space for people and i wish i had that phrase yesterday because it's it's a great one right because what i was talking about is the thing that my like one of the people who first people first or or second person that i ever saw deliver coaching training was a woman called deb barnard um really amazing woman and she would always she was always running it for leaders it was a leadership program that i helped organize i was kind of did project management event management for and they were so they were all leaders some of them did become coaches but one of her things was always look don't use this all the time right if someone asks where the photocopier is like don't don't coach them on it. Just tell them where the photocopier is. And it's like really important, I think, for leaders to remember that because especially when, and, and like, uh, I'm definitely guilty of the equivalent of that for sure. Because like you said, there's no going back sometimes when you, you get into coaching, you, you want to do it everywhere, especially at first. So you, when someone says, where's the photocopier, you do kind of want to say, <laughs> well, let's think about this together. How could you learn, you know, whatever it is. But so I like the dominant stance. That's, that's really nice. Um, before we get into the, the detail of what you're doing now, which I want to mm-hmm. get into a bit more, were the conversations you had to have with your employer? Like, do you still work with the organization you worked with before? Oh, were the conversations you had um, to have with the employer as you transferred or did you leave and, and set up something? How did that work practically? No, it just evolved over time. So uh, if you're talking about the, uh, you know, the personal development path that happened throughout years. And so it's it's a journey that doesn't end, I guess. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, at the beginning, I was with a, an employer that supported that and helped me. Um, but then later I, I became a freelance and I just, just continued and I'm, you know, yeah. what was the catalyst for becoming a freelancer? Um, the, the right distance I'm going to talk about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love that chapter. So there's a great chapter in the, in the book about yes. distance. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. But yeah, in, in short, for people who haven't read the book yet, um, it's not being too involved um, in the dynamics, the politics, and, you know, not being part of it. It's the neutrality, the, uh, yeah, the, the distance from what is happening without being sucked. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because I heard... I listened to interviews with both the CEO and the COO of Shopify, which I didn't really know is an absolutely enormous operation. Um, it's it's how a lot of, for people who don't know, it, it's how a lot of um, e-commerce is run off this one kind of platform behind lots and lots of websites. And they are very interesting. Like the there were two great interviews on the Tim Ferriss show um, with the CEO from a few years ago and the COO from slightly more recently, but still a few years ago. They so they were both, uh, particularly I think Harley, who was the COO, but both of them were real advocates of coaching. It had been a huge part of their journeys, and it, but interestingly, they decided that to scale the coaching in the organization. They, I mean, one of them made a joke. He thought they'd hired. They're based in Canada. He thought they'd hired basically all the coaches in Canada because Shopify had expanded mm-hmm. so much, and they they needed to. Have, they wanted this resource in house. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a. 
I, I was a little more sold on that by then than I kind of expected to, because I l- personally love the distance I get from being outside someone's organization. But I, the energy that they had about what it means and what is possible for a group of internal coaches who really know the organization, I thought was quite interesting. So I guess what your reflections, when we're thinking about that, that question of distance, and maybe maybe actually we need to, for people who are listening, give the headline of that. Okay. Okay. We have to stop. I think we have to do the book now so that we can explain the chapter so that we can have this conversation about distance of internal and external coaches. I just think we have to do that. So Lucia, it's on you. Um, tell us the title of the book and the, uh, that, that you and Claire have written together and the kind of headline of what people can expect and where distance fits into that. The title of the book is The Human Behind the Coach. Here it is. Claire's holding it up on video. Looks beautiful. You can see it on Amazon as well. If people haven't got the book handy, give it a quick Google now. Yeah, very lovely cover. And I love the book. I love the birds and how they flutter throughout the book. I really like that. Fantastic. Glad that you do. And it's about how it's about the inner work we need to do to be able to demonstrate art in the coaching room. Mm. And, And Claire, maybe to bring you back in. I remember you talking to me, I don't think on the show, I think on a lovely work on the Mulvins, that this is the prequel to simplifying coaching in some ways. So could you maybe say something about that before we come back to distance? Yeah, when I was thinking about whether there was another book to be written, I recognized that there are the there are people who love simplifying coaching. There are people who hate it, that's fine. And there are people who love it but can't do it. And this book is for them. Right, because we had a great question last time from one of the members of the Coaches Journey community about um, is uh, the question was something like I, I listened back the other day to the, to the interview we did. It was something like, um, given that it's given the simple nature of what's in simplifying coaching, do you have to go through the bit where it's it feels complicated to get there? And the answer was no. But I, what I like about what you've just said is it, it it's not quite as simple as that because it isn't always like it's not easy to do the simple simple coaching right and um can you say maybe a little more about the people who can't was it can't do it was that the language you yeah can't i think there's something about well i mean this is the whole of part one robbie but there's something about when we're being paid what value are we bringing and therefore if we're being paid a lot or what we perceive to be a lot, then we think we need to bring value. And there's that line in simplifying coaching that says, unless we realize that we don't add value when we're trying to add value, we won't add value. Yep. And I guess that the human behind the coach really builds, built, pushes much, much further into that. But if I think my value, if, if I think that my reason for being in the room is the value that I bring, then, then, not being in control is really hard because if I'm not in control, how can I bring value? So there's a whole thing about how I am as a person and how much I trust the process and how much I think it's about me and all of those things. So that's what the book's for. Mm. And so, you know, it's like we're going to double click on and get into lots of these things. But Lucia, to bring us back, then can you can you tell us about that? So there's this chapter on distance, which I think. Was it you or one of you said in the interview you did in the coaching that it was your favorite chapter? Is that right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. You did. Yeah. So like, can you, can you tell us a little bit about, um, what distance 
is in the context of of the book what it means why it's important that it's there uh-huh. um and then maybe and then we can get back to uh where we were which is internal external coaches yeah so I, i'm going to share a little story from real life that inspired the chapter um but then we explored it, the many different facets of distance uh, my husband uh, during covid has become a oil painter and so he's an artist and of, often he would ask for feedback so he paints at night while i'm sleeping and then when i wake up in the morning i find this beautiful landscape and he would ask me to um to be at the right distance from the painting in order to be able to give proper feedback because i find in, if i'm too close to the canvas i would see meaningless spots of color without understanding really what is what is painted and if i'm too far i can't appreciate the beauty of it and so this thing got me to reflect on how this applies to our coaching engagements and maybe the uh, the the first thing that comes to mind the first example we could bring is how we're distant from the story that is being uh, communicated to us by the client are we getting involved in that emotion is it resonating too much is it triggering us or or maybe we're too far from them because we don't share the value system or uh, simply doesn't resonate because it never happened to us. And so if being at the right distance means connecting to the human without, without looking fake because we don't empathize, we, we don't really connect to the story or without getting too involved in the story and maybe falling into sympathy or, uh, you know, crying when they're crying or stuff like that. But this is just an example. In the book, we explore so many, maybe Claire will share another couple of examples of uh, of distance because I think we have eight, nine or 10, like, for example, distance from the system, right? Which yeah. is what we were talking before. Are we being sucked into the system's politics, dynamics, relationships, colluding, uh, whatever, or we are able to be neutral and stay objective when we are working with a leadership team, for example. Claire, you want to add something? Yeah, because I think the thing that was really interesting about that chapter was that that was the smallest chapter when we arrived on our first writing retreat. And and you, as you say, there are eight things and we were going, oh, there's this and then, then there's also this. Oh, and if there's that, then there's also something else. So it, it was that a lot of the writing retreat was crafting, but that chapter really, we bounced into it, didn't we? In lots and lots of different conversations as we were as we were writing together. Yeah, I think we'll come back. Let's come back to the process in a minute because I kind of want to get into that now. Really, part of me, but I, I want to just hold uh, the conversation where we were. But, before we do that, actually, I've got a distance question. So um, the reason I was looking down then um, when you were talking was to try and find it. Um, there was this great, I mean, there's, there's lots, there's lots of there were other bits in this in that chapter that I that I really liked. But one of the bits that really stood out for me was, was that you wrote something like, uh, sometimes do we have to withdraw because the distance between, and you kind of hinted at this then, Julia, the distance between uh, the coach's values and beliefs and the person that they're working with is too great. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if, um, you know, I, I've been coaching long enough to have coached, for example, during 2016, where some weird stuff was happening around values and beliefs in the UK. Um, and, 
I can, but, but for people who have coached more recently, it may have been less obvious, but I wonder if, if either of you has an example that, that springs to mind of when either you had to withdraw because of that, or you really had to think about it and, and be careful, like as in full of care because of a dis- difference in values and beliefs. I've got one. So I was coaching an individual in an organization and over time they left the organization and the coaching became about them being outside the organization. And um, it started being about, about growing a business where I had a fundamental difference about beliefs and values. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you know what your beliefs and values really are when some, when your buttons get pushed. That's always been my test. You know, there's all those values, exercise and beliefs and all of that stuff. But actually, it's completely meaningless because when somebody presses, when, you're, when your value or your belief button is triggered, then you really, really, really know what they were. They are. And, and the challenge with this individual was that I really rated them as a person, but the coaching was about something that was absolutely contrary to what I believe. And what I value, and, and is, is it is the reason you're not saying what that is because it'll just get the confidentiality thing a little too far, or are you able to it say it will get completely get the confidentiality <laughs> okay, yeah. thing far too far? Mm, that's so that's shame. all that I'm going to say. But um, you know, we spoke in the last in the last podcast, Robbie, about me being a Christian. Mm. Um, this wasn't somebody of another faith. This was something else. It was something else altogether. But it was it, that was the button that was pressed for me. Um. And then, and then there's that huge question, which is now what do I do? So I talked about it with my supervisor and all those other good things that you do. But actually, in the end, I had to, I had to say what I saw. And I did. And it was a beautiful end. And, you know, the thing that I'd been dreading was this is going to be a terrible end. And the feedback that I got was if I ever want coaching in the future about anything else, you are definitely the coach that I will come back to. And I think that actually what they said to me was that that it almost increased their trust in me that I had to say, if the coaching is going to be around this topic, then I can't do it. And that was, as I'm talking, the thing that was most interesting was that I know other people who have those who have a system, the belief system that this person had. And it wasn't the belief system that was the trigger. It was it was using the coaching to to market the belief system that became the issue for me. Sorry, that's code, but yeah, it's, tr- it's tricky because <laughs> we've got to do the code. But we, I really appreciate that we do. Um, it, it really, I mean, like I, I just think that the what you've just described is a really beautiful way to like. It's really important to to highlight what you did with that situation, which is that you felt, I guess you felt the feeling of like the value, something is way off here. And then you worked out what that was enough that you could skillfully have the conversation with the person, which is an amazing thing to have done. And, uh, you know, I guess that the way I think about this stuff, because really of, I mean, just one really that went badly wrong. Like I had one early in on in coaching where I just messed up the ending so badly that, and I was really like, it was really sad to have gone from, uh, to, to have 
managed that conversation so badly that instead of a really what you've described, there was just a, a relationship that was ended. And it's not a big deal in, in the grand scheme of things. And I learned huge amounts from it because I learned about my values and beliefs, right? Which is like mm. more important to me than anything is to hold an ending in the best way I can for somebody. And I've been able to learn from that since. And then it does make a real difference if you're able to hold those endings, particularly with people. But to do that, I imagine you have to do quite a lot of work and reflection. And that's the, again, that's one of the moves that we have available to us as coaches is to get that help in those moments. Yeah. And the question became, if we believe that coaching really works, I could have been, I could have been part of the success of the business, of the thing. I could have been, you know, my my coaching was 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 contributing to the to the doing of something that I didn't agree with, that I didn't believe in, and that's the moment. So, for example, if you know, I have quite strong political views. Um, I would be very happy to coach somebody who has other political views from me, but I could not. As we move towards a general election in the UK at some point in the future, I could not coach the part, the organisation, as they're as they're working towards wanting to have an organisation that I don't agree with, as they're working towards trying to get victory in an election. I couldn't do that, yeah. and that's the difference, right? It's so interesting. It's so interesting to think about. I, I was thinking the other day about. I think I was I was talking to a, another coach. And I was remembering, you know, that when I first started coaching or maybe on the training, the, the first training I did, there was a lot of conversation. I think there was, at some point in it, there was a conversation about what do you do if in, if that example comes up or if, you know, people were naming the industries that they would never work with somebody in. And what's interesting to me is I didn't, I didn't really get that. I didn't, ha I don't have that strong feeling that you have or that those people had. And since then I have coached people. <laughs> in pretty much all the organizations that were named in that discussion, not, not type industries, let's say. And, you know, I still think of one of the women that I coached. And if you imagine the kind of industries that people name that say they would never work in, she worked in one of those. And I don't think I've like, it wasn't quite as true when we started. And it was definitely true when we ended. I don't think I've ever worked with a person who, whose soul shone as much at me um, through the coaching as one of these people who worked in these organizations. And so I think it's a, I, I will never regret doing that work, even though, <laughs> uh, how do I say this without giving too much away, even though the uses of some of the stuff that her company does, uh, I think is pretty damaging. So, it, but it's like, so I think that is a just a really interesting, like, moral question that we all have to sit with. I guess one of the reasons I'm interested to ask about this, because you said about that in the book, is it it probably doesn't get talked about enough that we have these you know we're like we're a human and you've got to acknowledge that when you're doing this work and sometimes there'll be people who trigger you in all kinds of ways and then you get you get to choose as a coach who you do work with and when it matters and when it doesn't and you know i might have felt differently if the woman in that organization had been a different human but that particular human is in my list of i don't know the 10 bits of work that I'm most proud of ever doing in my life, probably. And despite the fact that she worked in that industry. So it's like, it's a really, I just think we've, we all have the chance to make those decisions and reflections. Lucia, I'm wondering, like, listening in on this bit of the conversation, what, what you're noticing or 
or what this brings up for you? What it brings up for me is uh, my decision point is whether I'm able to regulate when this happens to me. Ah, like, interesting. Is, it, is it something, of course, I take it to supervision, I reflect on it, but is it something that I'm able to self-regulate or is just, you know, off? <laughs> and just can you say a bit say a bit more about self-regulation and what that means to you, just for people who haven't had that language before? I mean... I'll share a little story. I had, I was coaching a lady uh, who had to make a decision and I had to make a decision in the past and I would have made a different choice from her. And so I was living my story as, as I was listening to her. And the risk was that I, I might not have been neutral, you know? And so I had to, uh, so when I talk about sort of regulation, I'm referring to detaching from the story again. So it's not my story, it's her story. And what is best for her is not what is best for me. So this is something you either can uh, regulate in the moment or uh, reflect out afterwards with a supervisor or it's just not the right engagement for you, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Again, there's just so, so much in there. Um, let's tie up the thing we were talking about before so that we can move on because I've got this like thing in the back of my mind where I know there's like a in my wife's family they call it like an I think they call it an unsneezed sneeze you know when you just need a sneeze and you haven't sneezed yet that's what I've got about so then about distance when it comes to being inside the you deciding to move freelance essentially to to get to the optimum distance from the oil painting of the work you were doing mm -hmm. so what how like what are your reflections on the, I guess, the the benefits and costs of being inside an organization and working with people in it versus being outside? Yeah, the the I, I think we already talked about the highlights. The highlights of the the pros of being in an internal coach would be that you know the people, you know the culture, um, you know the patterns, so you better understand what is going on. Um, but that could be, you know, a con if you know too much and that influences you or um, it creates bias or uh, it gets you too much involved in what is going on and it doesn't allow you to keep, you know, uh, a bird eye view, an objective view and stay neutral. And maybe you're being pulled in um, conflict by the, by people in the leadership team you're coaching and and stuff like that. So I guess as an in, as an internal coach, you need stronger boundaries uh, to be able to stay, you know, uh, to serve your client better. Otherwise, uh, it's better to be external. Uh, I quite enjoy being external. Yeah, me too. Like I, hearing this, you know, I mean, with I, I wonder, I don't think I would do it full time, but but I, I got pretty envious hearing the Shopify story that I was talking about before, like of people who got to be alongside the growth of this amazing organization led by what sound like amazing people. You know, some of them, I don't know when the first coach, you know, actually came in, but will have been on the journey in that organization. Toby, the, in the one of those interviews, Toby, the CEO says this beautiful thing about one of the things that makes life meaningful being going on adventures with friends. <laughs> and I got really envious, actually. It's like, it's a thing that I'm thinking about a lot in my business at the moment. Um, and actually, like, this is a thing for people to listen out to the next episode of this show for exciting things coming on that front when it comes to the coach's journey. But um, 
yeah, I got really envious of the idea of getting in at the start of an organization with leaders you really believe in and getting to support them through this amazing journey. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can imagine, I don't think I would ever want to do it full time though. And you can do that mostly from outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a thing, isn't there, which is like an internal external coach. So it sounds like Shopify were using internal external coaches. Say what that means. So an internal external coach, basically all your coaching is done in that organization and it's paid for by the organization and you're an employee. But a lot of internal coaches also have other roles. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that was definitely what they were doing. Yeah, they moved from having freelancers to em yeah. just employing those freelancers because it made economic sense, I think, and, yeah. and it tied them in more. And I think that still gives you some distance. It gives you less distance than being the external external, but it gives you more distance than being somebody who coaches one day a week and is the head of whatever on the other days, because that's where I think it gets compromised. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because because a lot of the and but it's interesting because some of the benefits that I was thinking about when you were talking, Lucia, about being internal also apply for external coaches when you're doing a lot of work. But I don't see that many benefits of being the head of whatever and also coaching a lot. Um, except like we had a guest, Susanna Martinez, great guest a few months ago on the show, who um <laughs> I think it kept her in the organization for a lot longer than it would have otherwise, because she was in the same kind of move that you've been describing, Lucia, of discovering this new thing. And um, I think if they hadn't let her do that for a few years, she wouldn't have stayed doing the other thing that they wanted her to do too. So that's one reason to let somebody coach. Um, so Lucia, just we're going to get in a sec. I want to get to you two connecting and where the book emerged and how it did. But Fill in. There's, there must be a few years of gap between going freelance and uh, deciding to write this book with Claire. What was? <laughs> what are some like? Um, you've done it a little bit already, but if there's any other headlines you want to give about the work you do now, or some of your favorite—I don't know—favorite bits of work or Absolutely. favorite ways you think about work in, yes. in that time. I'm, I'm still passionate about working with systems and helping organization move forward. So I have time. I work with uh, with organization, uh, normally with executive teams, either collectively or individually with or with their teams. And uh, the rest of the time is spent to grow other coaches, which is still my passion. It's what I love doing. And I guess it's where the, um, you know, it, it, the desire to write the book with Claire came from as well. So self-mastery and personal transformation to help them make a greater impact in the workplace or with their individual clients if they are individual coaches. Yeah. So that that's where I spend the rest of my time. Yeah. And is that that's all is that all under the coaching outside the box? Coaching outside the box. That's yes. the name of the company. Right. Yeah. It's a yes. cool website as well. And yeah. good good logo. Um but uh sorry, I'm thinking about logos at the moment because I need it. <laughs> I got I gotta do something about my website in the next couple of years. It's it's I, it's it's been a long time. Um and just again, before we just get to that next that next piece, the book, um, working with Claire, what is it that um why are the <laughs> this is interesting for me because I'm thinking about the same thing for myself as well. Like for you, why is it that it's important, like that that balance of half the time developing coaches and half the time working with leaders is important? Like what do those two bits give you or or why do you need both of them in your work? Oh, that's a great question. I I still enjoy coaching relationships and um, influencing human dynamics. And so that's a great piece of work I do with organizations. Uh, but changing organization is harder, it's lower, it's difficult. 
Um, and uh, when I work with individuals who want to grow themselves, I see myself where I was, I don't know, 10 years ago. Uh, and um, I really like to partner with people who are passionate about developing themselves to help others. Yeah. Yeah, there's something so exciting about doing that, doing that work. And and just because it's I don't want to miss these opportunities. I think that, you know, part of the reason that this podcast exists is about the kind of uh what black box or the kind of confusion is like, how does the business actually work? And so I guess I'm curious with those these days or at the as you first moved out of the company. Where do the organizations or the executive teams that you're working come from and why do they hire? Like, how come you end up getting hired by them? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, they look for organizational coaches normally or they get in touch with me because because of my agile expertise. And then they discover they can get so much more. Yeah, Uh, they try to hire you as an agile coach and you say you could do that. But actually this thing. I used to be hired as an agile coach in the past. Uh, in this company, uh, in the current client I'm working for, I am an enterprise coach. So I work across uh, where it's more, it's more impactful for me to work on. Yeah. And then, so Claire, when did, when did you, when did you first come across this, this other person on this call? How did you <laughs> sue me? Well, I can't remember, but I think you joined a group I was running in lockdown, didn't you, Lucia? Well, no, or did we do some one-to-one before that? I can't remember. Yeah, we met one-on-one. It's a good job that somebody remembers. To, to do mental coaching or supervision or coaching or something mental like that? Coaching. Mental yeah. coaching, right. yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, and and what became clear really quickly was that there was huge, that the dynamic of the way that we were working together was, was rich in content for another book. Uh-huh. So I just said to Lucia, this is rich in content for another book. As it turns out, we've actually thrown all that in the bin, but that is another story altogether. Yeah, let's get to that in a sec. But but so w- were you thinking, Claire, because I guess by the time we spoke last year, you already knew this, but like what was your experience of writing? I don't think we talked about this in great detail of, of writing, simplifying coaching. Did you think while you were writing that, that actually working on a book with somebody else would be a, like a... A, a, a preferable experience or or was it just that you kind of saw this book emerging between the two of you in the conversations well all my pre-coaching books were co-written with someone else all ah, right what were they did we talk about this last time no we, we didn't what no, are the pre-coaching no books? we don't need to talk about them they're in no we do now you've, you've named them if you brought them in we have to talk okay about so 10 years ago with my now boss sue blanche I wrote How to Make Great Appointments in the Church, uh-huh. which is how to get another job as a vicar or how to get another vicar. Yeah. Uh, and then 10 years before that, I wrote some books for teenagers. That is another world. Can they still be bought? What, what, no, what are they? no, they're out of print. That's a shame. You could bring them back. You could bring them back. No, I made them be out of print. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> And so, okay, so you had this experience before. So actually simplifying coaching was the outlier. Yeah, but simplifying coaching was easy to write because it was inside me. Yeah, we talked about that last time. It it came from this course that you've been running for a long time. Yeah, so the human behind the coach was much... So the human behind the coach took three years for us to write. Simplifying coaching took nine months. So in the human behind the coach, we were evolving. So I just said to Lucia, 
I think that the work we're doing could create the really good content for a book. But if I'm going to write a book, a book about the work we're doing, then we need to write it together. Because it, you can't write a book about the work you're doing with someone else unless yeah. you write it together, right? Well, you could. Um, I don't think you could, Claire, because I think it would it would be one of those values that would just yeah. like you you wouldn't be able to do it the whole time. I think lots of people do that, and then they fall out. They often pro- probably fall out with the people that who they've kind of taken all the work from and and that kind of thing. But yeah, I, don't I would describe it as an emergent process. Yeah, really. Lucia, what was it like when you when Claire said that to you? Do you remember? Were you like, "This is a terrible idea. I've got no desire to write a book," <laughs> or you were like, "Amazing, Claire wants oh, to write yeah, a book with me." Oh yeah, of course, amazing. I've, I could, I've learned so much by writing a book that I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. So, so you were straight away all in for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect. He was because it was my first experience. But the the fun thing about it has been that it's really been an emergent process, starting from the initial idea that we then binned uh, to the chapters, to the the stories, everything. It, until the end, even during the writing retreat. And so what was the idea that got binned, first of all? Growing into mastery was the old title. Yeah. We paid money for the domain name. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like we were really serious, growingintomastery.com. It's good. Like what's wrong with it? It's a good title. It wasn't it just wasn't the book you were writing. Is that it just emerged it was something different? What what happened? It's about mastery. Oh yeah. Yeah, you Claire was saying on the coaching in for people who I'm I'm just describing everything that happened on that episode now. That's what this episode <laughs> is. You don't have to listen to that now. That you hate the word mastery now, Claire. You have a kind of Completely. like a little allergic reaction to it. It's very power. It feels very powerful. Uh, and I know it isn't it doesn't feel past powerful in everything because um Doodah with the White Spine, <laughs> this book, uh, wrote about mastery. The guy who wrote Outliers, maybe it was in Outliers, Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell. Yeah. He talked about mastery being 10,000 hours. Uh, and if you look at a pianist who does that, you don't, I, I wouldn't think of that as power hungry, but in the coaching space, it can be seen, it can be looked at from a distance as a power badge. And it was going to be about the ICF competencies and it was going to be about what you needed to do to get from your PCC credential to your MCC credential. But actually that wasn't, and it kind of sort of still is, but it's not just for one tribe of coaches. And and doing things better isn't the thing that makes for artful coaching. What makes for artful and and that was one of the one of the other inquiries that I'd been sitting with for a long time was what's the difference between a transcript that you see of a coaching session that looks really great and then you hear it and you go, whoa, <laughs> that's just not in flow. It doesn't feel it. And and those those recordings, if they're submitted for a credential, don't pass. So what was it that was this gap? Because it wasn't you need to do 5.6.1 and then you need to do this and then you need to do that. It's not It's not a, an algorithm anymore. So there's an algorithm at the beginning of coaching, I think, that, that actually works very well. But then there's a moment where you have to abandon the algorithm. Yeah. So the algorithm at the start being... Uh grow or some Whatever. different version of it Whatever. like some yeah. some frame for a coaching techniques session. techniques yeah. tools yeah models 
Yeah, and then you have to abandon it. Yeah, I was this is nice. Um I love this thing I heard a few years ago, which is uh it's really important that uh well, I can't quite get it. It it's like um the best time to break the rules is when breaking the rules is more in the spirit of the rules than sticking to the rules. Uh, and the example is in Harry Potter, you know, they always get like um docked 10 house points for being out of bed at night, which is a rule to keep the students safe, but given 1,000 house points for saving the world from Voldemort, which is more in the spirit of keeping the students safe than staying in bed. And it's, there's something a little bit like that with coaching. It's like, you know, know those things, know the algorithm, and then and then you can play. Um, and I like in the book, like, and you've used it both, I think both of you have used it in this conversation already, that, that frame of the artful coach. That's interesting, and then in the in the second part, we talk about the dance and the music, and it that gives us a sense, or gives me a sense, and probably listeners, even without getting to the book of of this distinction that you're making there, Claire, between the algorithm and then beyond the algorithm. Yeah, that wouldn't have made a good title, would it? Beyond, beyond the, the algorithm. algorithm. I mean, I liked for coaching. <laughs> I like that in there. I think it's important that you. Uh, I can't remember. Is it right at the end? It'll right make a beginning? good Twitter post. Yeah, yeah, it would. It would. Like, I think it's an important distinction to make. So, I think that one of the things you're doing in this book, you know, you really it, beyond the algorithm is quite a good description because it's like you're referencing AI in the book, and, and we're going to get there if we're not there already. You know, it can do amazing things. It should be able to um, create that transcript with somebody that you're talking about this kind of a star transcript um even if it was on text you know you could do it on whatsapp with ai and you could probably get it doing that pretty quickly if they haven't already done that i don't know but there's something else interesting that's really i I didn't know that i read that in the book and really liked that distinction like why can the why does the transcript look great but the recording not i didn't know that they would fail like that's an interesting part of it so what i mean the fact that you're telling that story again now and both of you are nodding and that the that's in the book in a few different places is really interesting. So that tells me that the, in this case, I imagine we're talking ICF, but it could be one of the other bodies as well, that their accreditation process picks up the unartful coaching, but it doesn't like, so it's in there, it's in their competencies and their processes, but it's, but somehow people are missing it. Is that what's happening or what's happening? It's it's not partnership. So the thing that was really interesting when we finally got to the, what the book was that needed to be written is the thing that makes artful coaching is the little tiny things that are inside the te- the algorithm like partnership and flow that's the bit that makes the difference not eloquent questions or this model that model or the other model Lucia yeah, the, the I think the first book was more focused on the doing, coaching, and this is more about who we are, the being, yeah. and how we need to be different in order to make a greater impact. That's a big shift. Can I tell you a funny story? I Somebody contacted us the other day, and she wanted to do the human behind the coach training. And she said, I'm at that stage in my coaching journey where I think that this would be a really good thing. And I said, well, let's have a chat. We had a chat. And what had been clear in the first two minutes of the chat is that this person has had more of a human journey than probably anybody I've met in the last year. They have, they, they're, they had had so much of a journey of humanity. And at the end of two minutes, I said, 
I'm really t- I'm really moved that you want to work with me with us. But can I just tell you, the human behind the coach is not the course for you. <laughs> Guess what? You just demonstrated is that's the learning you've done. You don't that you don't. It may be that you need a different kind of a learning. Um. So yeah, because it's our it's our human journey that makes us the coaches we are. Once we've got the algorithm, whatever that is in our tribe, beyond that, it's our humanity. I think. Yeah, I think it's um, one of the things I was struck reading, um, looking at the book and reading it through. And I'd had this thought kind of separately for the things we have to do to build a coaching business. But it was interesting to to get it um, from the book and particularly the what the um, the first part of it. And interesting, the first and the second parts, but was like how lucky we are that in order to be great at this thing that we happen to be doing, these are the qualities that we have to develop in ourselves. Like how lucky that a sense of that we need to become somebody who's humble and vulnerable and courageous and comfortable with not knowing. Like how lucky that that is what is asked of us to do this thing that we love doing really well. Mm-hmm. And I guess the the beauty of the writing is that we we brought our stories about how we developed these qualities in life with our clients or you know uh, the personal stories that got got us to be where we are today and that we wanted to share to help others come along the same journey yeah for sure there's been no no thing that taught me the 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 um what the 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 Oh, what's the word? The like foolishness of trying to control the world than having a one-year-old or a two-year-old. Like I've had no a s- surrender to whatever the whatever Leah is doing or whenever she's going to sleep is the only way to get her to sleep. Me stressing out. I mean, like one of the genuine. Like this is incredible because it was exactly about not knowing. Um, I'm not sure I've told this story anywhere. Like one of the genuinely worst experiences of my parenting. This is going to sound incredibly trivial. Was during. Was Euro 2020, which happened in 2021 because of the pandemic. So it's like in the in the pandemic, football was really important to me because it was like the only thing that was actually alive that was actually happening for a while. So it was kind of like, other than that, I could watch TV and I could speak to people on Zoom, but there was this actual live thing happening somewhere. So football was important. And England were playing Scotland, which hadn't happened since ni- in, a, in a competition final since 1996. And it was like at eight o'clock. And Leah was normally always in bed. She was probably like one and a bit at this point by by seven. And it was genuinely one of the most hellish experiences of my life to try and get her to sleep because I really, really wanted her to fall asleep and she wasn't doing it. And, you know, it's like it it was just complete desperation to control an uncontrollable thing and surrender to it is the only option. And I love those things because like anyone who remembers Euro 2020 will remember that England-Scotland was the most d- dull game of all time. And I would have been lucky if she hadn't gone to sleep for another two hours, it would have been a better way to spend my time. But um, those things, like every time you try and control the uncontrollable, you know, and those those human stories, they're, yeah, they're absolutely um, full of the insight that we need to become some of those qualities in my experience that you talk about in the book. And I think what's reassuring about that for people, um, as I slow as I think about that now, is yes, yeah, some of this thing that you're talking about, about the kind of mastery thing or the 
I mean, what we talked about last time, Claire, about like selling complexity being really easy to do. And so like, and people also, people having the other thing that you mentioned last time, which I really liked, I'm going to bring back in was like the monetizable credibility that some people bring from other industries, right? So if you're somebody who um, doesn't feel like they're ever going to be a speech marks master and doesn't come from an easily monetizable um industry um and doesn't and gets intimidated by all the tools that are out there what's really really reassuring about what i think we're saying in this bit of the conversation and what you're saying in that first half of the book is you you definitely have a human story and you can slow down with that and you can understand it and then you can lean into these qualities which are available to everybody um, and are also the kind of qualities that most people really admire in others and so would like to develop and if you do that then the artful coaching follows yeah and i'm just looking at those the chapter titles now because i've got the only copy (laughs) sorry lucia it's coming (laughs) but i'm looking i'm looking at those chapter titles and i'm recognizing that those things silence not knowing humility vulnerability distance and courage they're the things that i've developed in my coaching and that's been drawn from my life experience but when my dad was dying in the last two weeks those are the things that I've used, every single one of them. And given that being with my dad on the night he died, is, I'm more proud of that than anything else, including writing this book with Lucia, sorry. But I, but I drew on that, and that came from my professional journey. And that's, that's extraordinary, because I would never have thought when I set out training as a coach in the early, whenever it was, late 1990s, that the things that I was going to learn on the way were going to pay back a million times over in the last two weeks. I think it's just a hugely undernoticed thing that if we, that, 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 that this, maybe other industries too, but that this work does for us is and I think you're you know I don't think I've seen it as clearly until I was had this thought when I was looking like you just did at the, the chapter titles that it is a maybe it's the reason it feels like a calling to so many people because it is this opportunity to have a, a hero's journey about these things that will that we will bring back into our life at another time um, a really important time for the people we care about or for our lives and without having gone on this crazy journey of everything from trying to work out how to have the right separation from that business person to selling yourself you know these are all building building great humans really if 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 we're paying attention also what you said there claire and thank you for sharing it you know really brought up that you know some of the the people who show up throughout the book um the, the the influences Catherine Mannix is in there a lot Nancy Klein is in there quite a lot Brene Brown is in there quite a lot and in their own ways I think each of them uh, some probably in a scale of more explicit to less explicit did some work and then realized it was really really useful in loads and loads of places that wasn't where they did the work you know, Brene Brown with sociology research and then suddenly realizing that, that, you know, however many it is now, 50 million people would find the TED Talk completely compelling. Um, Catherine Mannix with with that amazing work from from her, her work in palliative care. And Nancy Klein, I guess, is probably the closest, in, at least in time to think, of 
knowing where it was useful and then pointing people at it. But 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 the experience of listening that comes from that is is quite something and for sure is useful. It's useful everywhere. I, I mean, we're in an interesting moment in the call now. There's quite a few things in there. And like I don't know whether it's there's anything more you want to say about what's been happening for you in the last few weeks, Claire, or or anything you're noticing each year, or anything about those influences that I've just named that feels important to to say in this moment, like their places. I mean, I guess they're all people that for me feel like their work is really about humanity. That's one of the things that I get from all those people. That's yeah. Everything that, you know, up to the last few months, we've we have quoted Catherine Max a lot because her book, Listen, is one of my top three coaching books of all time. Of course, now it's one of my top four coaching books of all time, but <laughs> now we've got to have the humor behind the coach in our list of four. Um, but I have shared with her on Twitter that my dad died. And, and of course, she responded in a beautifully lovely human way because she's a, she's a human being. So, so the thing about there's a thing about the wisdom that we gather, but there's also something about the about the the straightforward human beings that we encounter on the way who are just very normal. So I said to my dad, as he was dying, and thanks to Catherine Mannix, can I tell you a funny story? Sorry, trigger alert, listeners. My dad really, really wanted to die at home because my mum died from COVID in hospital. And we absolutely committed to that. And there were some things that happened in the last 48 hours of his life that if I hadn't listened to Catherine Mannix's podcast, we would have dialed 999 and he would have died in an ambulance. But instead, I'm going, my daughter says, Grandpa did this. And I'm going, that's okay, because that's on Catherine Mannix's list. And then and then he was he was he had this extraordinary hallucination which was very moving, actually. And he said to my brother, where have I been today? And my brother said, you've been asleep, Dad. And he said, oh, no, I thought I was in this amazing story that he then told us quite a lot about. And then I'm going, my brother goes, that's disturbing. And I'm going, no, that's another tick. And then he lost consciousness. And Paul went, he's unconscious. And I'm going, this is great. And when he stopped eating, I'm going, this is wonderful. And then as we went through those last hours last week through the night, I was holding my dad's hand and I went, this is normal. This is okay. We've got this, dad. This is normal. And that comes from all those years of of working with not knowing in coaching. Because I didn't know if it was normal or not. (laughs) We just had to... me and dad and then my brother when he joined us we had to surrender to the process and we had to let the process do what the process was going to do and there was a moment where i'm thinking excuse my language bugger I wasn't expecting this and i'm going to dad it's okay we're going to be we've got this it's going to be okay and it as we're talking, you know, as, as we've been talking about these things and looking at those chapter titles, that's what is, is so important about the cross-fertilization of the work, the both ways it comes, the way that the work informs our humanity and our life and our personal stuff and the way our personal stuff informs our work. Because I know that I'll be a different coach now. Because blinking out, I held my nerve. Yeah. Yeah, when we have those experiences, 
you come through it, you've held your nerve there. Like, where can't you hold your nerve after you've done that? Um, and, and Claire, I just want to say, people who are listening, you know, it, we've had a death in our in our family this last year as well. And I was so grateful that you recommended to me uh, Catherine Mannix's other book, With the End in Mind. Um, it was helpful to me. It was a bit helpful to the, to the people who were involved, but it was really helpful to me for lots of those same reasons. And, you know, I, I wrote a little blog about it because we had a baby this year as well. And was really caught by the similarities between what Catherine Mannix says about the process of death and and the kind of problems we have in our society about how we, we're dealing with it, which is we're not talking about it and we're sending people to hospital when they don't need to go and we're not we're not like managing the process. And then with the end in mind, she talks quite a bit about them being like midwives. And at the same time, we were watching this amazing. Um, one of my heroes is a woman called Siobhan Miller. We were watching this thing for the second time. It was a second baby. She has a company called the Positive Birth Company. And we started watching it again ahead of ahead of the, the, the Gabriella being born. And I, the first thing I said, I turned to Emma and was like, why hasn't this woman got like an MBE or something? She's like literally changing lives, two lives at a time, right? Because she's changing the mother's life and the baby's life in with real echoes of just this sense of people really holding the kind of naturalness of of the processes um, and accepting them for what they are rather than fighting them and and preparing for them in a way you know it's like when we prepare when we 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 psych ourselves up for birth or death as though it's going to be a terrifying horrible 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 thing which in some ways of course both of them are and can be we also create that by doing it and by knowing what's going on like what a different experience that you, for all your family who were there, that you were able to say, no, this is normal. Even though you were having to hold the, like the very real thing, I guess, of not genuinely know, knowing, like not being sure, but a really, a real sense. And then everyone gets to relax instead of the whole thing being a project management thing of when do we go to hospital and how do we fight this? I just imagine that, that was able to be a really different experience. We called for help an hour before he died. Of course, you don't know that, do you, in the moment? And they arrived 10 minutes after he died. And everyone, I, I'm trying really hard to get the language right because I'm want. I I'm going to tell you it was the district nurses. But every time I've told that story to anybody up to this moment, I've called them midwives by mistake. Yeah. <laughs> but as you're talking, Robbie, the thing that really strikes, strikes me about what you're saying about birth and what I've said about death is about the naturalness of the process. And that's what the artful work is, isn't it? Mm. It's it's the not striving. It's the holding the difficult stuff and going, you know, this is normal. We're going to get through this together. And the, like that brings to mind one of my favorite things in the book. And I think you're quoting somebody else whose names I don't have, but there's this great metaphor for insight about, about eggs. And that's in, that's in here as well, right? Like David uh, Rock and Jeffrey Schwartz. Right. And is this right that, 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 you know, you can break an egg two ways. Uh, you end up with a broken egg, but one way you end up with life and one way you don't. And the, the, the thing that they're making or that you're making is that insight is like that. Right. And I think that's what you're pointing to. It can naturally emerge. Or we can kind of force it. And as the coach, we have the choice. Are we going to force it or are we going to let it naturally emerge and guide the process? Um mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a woman called Jennifer Garvey Berger, whose work I really like on this sh show last year, I think. And she does, she works in adult 
developmental psychology. She said if if more women had been involved in um, coining all the phrases and models in that, there'd be a lot, far more birth metaphors um, because it's incredible. You know, it it is what you're doing, what's happening. Any of us who have been through a developmental journey know that there's, you know, and have witnessed in some way birth little aside claire just to <laughs> echo the, the the similar things about both processes i don't think you know this we called for help with uh with with gabriella's birth and they arrived too late as well so actually when gabriella was born it's just the two of us and then just the three of us which is a little intense but because like it's a, again just like to see the <laughs> i can laugh about it now because everybody's fine but uh, at the time felt a little less like that but but part of the people have been like why weren't you like how panicked were you and I was like, well, partly I thought people would show up because I can't believe the system allows so easily for a baby to arrive without any help. But also, I had been really sold by Siobhan Miller on the naturalness of the process. And Emma had been really sold on it. And so it, I wasn't panicked because I knew that it this was designed to happen rather than, which had been true of me before, I knew almost everything about birth from watching TV shows which just like death is dealt with in entirely fictionalized, mostly horribly inaccurate ways. Um, hmm. I knew that this was designed to happen. Absolutely. It's making me chuckle because there was a moment when my brother said something and I said, what's the worst that can happen now? Because yeah. <laughs> he's kind of in his last few minutes. Hmm. And so we couldn't get it wrong. We couldn't, we couldn't get it wrong and he wasn't in pain. So, it was just to let him go. But but that letting go is part of the coaching process, right? Yeah, a big part. And part of it, I think, is also what we, it's like what people learn from coaching, isn't it? It's like um, if you do coaching, what we one of the things I think we often do is we we invite people into this. We invite people into all of these things. So these are these qualities that you talk about in, in humanity within the first part of the book. You know, we invite people as we do those things. We invite people into the normality of silence and the normality of not knowing and how it's possible to be a human who doesn't know. And that's okay. And you kind of invite people into that. It's a little like, um, I don't know anything about transactional analysis. So it might not be like that. It feels a bit like that. It's like, if, if, if one of you is in, I have to have control, the other one can easily get pulled into that as well. And if one of you is happy to sit in, I don't know here, then both of you end up there. Um, Hmm. Lucia, like, <laughs> I'm curious what you've heard in the last the last few minutes of this conversation. I'm actually curious about what you think is the the highlight or the biggest takeaway of reading the book before it's out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, before it's born, you see. <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, strange, strange, strange. I don't know what role this is in the in the birth metaphor. I'm like a you know a midwife appointment before the before the birth or something. <laughs> is what we're doing here. Um, good question. So there's lots in there. You know, for me personally, I think I I, I got it. I, I had a question for you, but you answered it, Claire, when you talked about that that person that came to talk about doing the course. I had a question about like, I know this won't be true for everyone, but for me. The first part felt like, uh, and I know this is like a tendency that I personally have. Um, I think I talked about it a bit last time. Like I have a tendency to, once I've learned something, 
like believe that I've known it for a long time and therefore be less engaged to learn it again, even if it, I don't know it or even when I don't know it all. So I have to be aware of it. The, but I, the first part, I think in a wholesome way for me, I felt like, okay, yeah, but this is just coaching, isn't it? But I think that that is probably about my human journey, both pre-coaching and since I started, mm-hmm. since I got into this. So that whilst that was kind of reassuring, I had a little bit of, I quite often have this. I also think I was really lucky slash chose really well with the training I did, which invited a lot of those things. So I still get a little caught off guard and I need to read a book like this or speak to people like you who are obviously at the cutting edge getting this more. That There's a lot of people who come out of coach trainings who don't get any of that and aren't invited into it. So I, for me, that bit was I was like reminded of those things. But then in the the second part, which um, again, spoiler alert, the the part two is called Humanity Between. And maybe we we get to that a bit now. That felt like it was full of some big, but some mini insights for me. Mm -hmm. So one of them, for example, that I want to ask you about, this is going to be supervision for Robbie, um, is in there quite a bit is uh, like the, the risk of or the backward looking nature of, so this is what we said we'd do at the start of this call, which people who've been coached by me will have had a lot. It's like one of my moves. So I'm like, oh, interesting. This is like what I love about that second part is, you know, I, I could have and was kind of like, oh, here's a little like, it's, it's full of little adjustments, which I think are probably the thing you're talking about earlier. One of you was talking about like the adjustments to within the algorithm to to artistry so what somebody could somebody say something about that about that kind of that that little mini thing that i'm pointing to there about as we recontract or re-agree what we're here to do how do we do it artfully there's a quick tip on uh there's a quick tip on our my youtube channel called facing forwards about it but it's how i broke my chair robbie <laughs> oh yeah oh good callback good callback I think the 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 issue the, the the challenge is that if coaching is going to be future focused and we're going to be moving forwards there's a real danger where we accidentally both of us start turning around and facing backwards. So when you say when we started what we've done is we've taken them back in time from where we are now to where we were at the beginning of the conversation. And the art is how do you do exactly the same thing without turning round? So how so how are we doing in relation to your question keeps us facing forwards. So it's the same thing, but but when we pick up from that, we're still where we were, or maybe we've moved a little bit further forward. But when we take people back to the beginning, we both go back to the beginning, and then it's very difficult to get back to where we were. We get back to somewhere. Yes. So, so we're not saying there's anything wrong with backwards-facing questions, but the art is how do you ask any backward-facing question facing forwards? Yeah. Yeah. Great distinction. Um, and I think that the other way, or like maybe the other way to answer your question, Lucia, is um, I guess I'm struck in this moment by the metaphor in the second part of the book. Mm. And again, I think I've thought about this quite a lot. You know, I love teaching metaphor to coaches and using metaphor in coaching. Um, and just for people who haven't heard me talk about that before, like one of the things that I just think is so good about it is it, it allows us to hold a more complex idea 
than prose. Like essentially the difference between poetry and prose, right? Poetry, you, um, and I experimented with this once and it was amazing. Like the poem that I wrote about, you can find it on my website. There's a poem called Waiting for God's Wind. And in it, I linked to the article that I'd written previously about the same idea. And one of them is just, you know, infinitely better at capturing the kind of chaos of 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 development's mental stage that I was sitting in 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 those moments. So I'm, I'm struck by the the metaphor in that in that second part that that again just because it must have been hard. I don't know if you thought about this to to write a book about not being the algorithm without being part of creating a new algorithm. And I think probably that's one of the ways you avoided doing that, which I think you did do. Having said that, like I said before, it's not that there aren't like tips, tricks, things to spark insight for people, which which is obviously important for people to know if they're going to go and read the book. But but it is if the attempt is to be something different to that. Was that how did those uh, metaphors come about? And maybe you could say something now, Lucia, just about that writing process and how how it went from that first conversation to. I guess up to the to the book. So because it's all about humanity, we thought of the senses, what we hear, what we see, and what we sense in the room. And and so the it's fascinating because your your feedback about the book uh reminding me of the experience of receiving feedback from our endorsers and pi and beta readers. Because and they were they had different uh, experience in coaching, different levels of experience. So we had master certified coaches, we had coaches who were weren't even ACC, and so some of them, maybe those who didn't have enough of those qualities in their coach training, were struck by what they need to develop. Right, so part one. Those who've had them because of their life journey or because their their training, their experience brought them to. Uh, develop those qualities are fascinated by what we hear, sense, and see. And so we talked about the words. We talked about the partnership. We talked about the uh, the dance in the room. Lovely, and I think that speaks to what, what you're doing is quite a hard thing, right? Which is to try and write. You know, it's like to try and boil something down in this way to something that's core for everybody. And I guess that you're hearing, it's never going to be equally core for everyone. <laughs> and so oh, but what no. you get from what your reflection there, or, or partly from my reflection is there are different bits that'll be, that'll stand out more for different people. One of the things actually to also answer your question from before Lucia, which really stood out is like, oh my word, it's time for me to, to, to watch more of my coaching back again. Um, you yes. know, I've been in a phase of partly <laughs> because I've been doing other, you know, my coaching business had less focus in the last couple of years because of books and my kind of stuff like that. But, you know, I have had phases of being in my in recordings of myself loads and I'm ready for another one. And maybe one of you could say something about the place that that has in in developing this these all these things that we've been talking about. Can I tell you a funny story? A lot of the content for Chapter 12, which you can download for free on the website, Right, and chapter twelve is about how to watch and how to get use out of watching yourself back. And actually, for me, like I've listened to recordings loads, I've not watched myself back that often. So part of part of it is people people saying to me, "There was something off about that conversation. I don't know what it was." So I'll say, "Let's let's watch it," and we watch it, and and the there is no partnership in the eyes. 
So they're not play, they're not passing over the conversation between each other. And as much as I, you know, Lucia and I would both love to be your mental coach. You don't need a mental coach to tell you that because if you watch a gallery view side by side video of you coaching somebody else, you can see when you're not looking at them. You can see when something happens and you missed it. You can see all the things that you didn't see in the conversation and it will transform your coaching and you don't need to pay any money. Because even audio doesn't do that. You've got to be able to see. So so I often watch coaches who who are very thoughtful and generous and wonderful people. And as soon as the person who's thinking says something, the coach ponders it. But now the coach and the thinker are entirely out of connection because it's not like the thinker stopped doing things while the coach is looking away. So now they now they are totally out of sync. Well, or they they might have stopped doing things, but not for like a, a reason of connection or partnership, yeah. but because they're waiting. They're, like it's obvious that, and, yeah. and I, I'm speaking yeah. about myself as much as anybody else. Like they're waiting for me to think about what I'm thinking about, yeah. um, which is awkward. a really different thing. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Awkward. <laughs> Hopefully not, but it will be sometimes. I'm sure. But that's often about you making sense of their stuff, and actually, if your job is to make is to support them to sense make. That's what you should. And we don't need to sense make exactly. because that's not our job. Mm-hmm. So the building on the um, the concept of not necessarily paying for mental coaching, the book can give some insight of what to watch for as you look back to your recordings. You watch your recordings again. So the chapter 12 is a guide for those who want to record. And so there are tips to re- on how to record, but also how to make use of those recordings for self-personal development. Yeah, and I, just a quick question, a quick, really practical question. Obviously, listening back to it or watching back a recording, just the coach, I don't think that breaches anything. Do you, do you encourage people to get, it might be in chapter 12, and I've just gone, to get, but, but do you get to get permission from the clients? How do you do that to share the you recording? You ask them. There are some words in, the, in chapter okay. 12. Can I tell you, though, I gave chapter 12 to my supervision community the other day as a gift and somebody who I know very well put a comment in and said, I thought this was going, he said, this sounded really boring. And I thought, oh, golly, we didn't name it very well. He said, it sounded really boring and I've just read it and it's brilliant. It's really going to change my coaching. So that's a marketing thing that we need to think about for the second edition. Yeah. And look, for, for people who haven't thought about this, so the reason that the last time that I really engaged with listening to myself was after reading, it wasn't Malcolm Gladwell. I think it was Matt Syed's book, but it's one of those books that bounce, but it's one of those books that talks about the research on deliberate practice. And I was like, I'm so sold on deliberate practice. How do I do this with my coaching? And the obvious way was to was through watching myself and others. That just felt like a very quick way to do deliberate practice. And just for people, again, to, to fill in that gap for people. So the idea in the research is um, it's connected to, I think Gladwell gets, I think he was probably, he, he was wrong about, he approximated too much. He oversimplified by making it 10,000 hours, partly because of the, the different types of practice you can do, which is it will take you less long to get to true mastery of the piano or whatever, or coaching if you are doing really careful practice. Whereas probably loads of us have done five to 10,000 hours of driving and we are not Lewis Hamilton, right? Like it's like, we don't have that skill because we're not doing deliberate practice. We're thinking, we're listening to the coaching in um, on while we're driving. Um, so that, it, again, I think it is, yeah, watching with a peer, 
um, watching back yourself. I love to be, I've always loved to be in a group to do that stuff because you get to hear other people's coaching and you get to hear the different things they would do. And that's one of the ways that we learn, our intuition learns to to, to do different things. Um, so I said to you before that we switched on the recording, I think I've got more notes for this call than I think for any call I've done. I think we've like, we've hardly done any of them. So let's do a few of them now. <laughs> um before we before we finish so one of them is i'd love to hear from both of you on this this is a question from the coach's journey community um one of the members there who get to ask questions of guests um maybe start with you lucia how would you like the human behind the coach to change or improve or inform the world at a, a more macro level so we know how it might affect coaches but what about the world more broadly uh humanity in the workplace for example And when I think about that, I think about growing emotional intelligence in teams, talking about uh, being open about fears, uh, talking about emotions and addressing tough stuff, which is something that a coach would do, uh, but people don't do naturally. Uh, So this is one, but there could be so many others. I guess the the primary ambition is that it transformed the way we talk about coaching. So not not so much focus on on doing or techniques or models, frameworks, but more on the being. Um, And the ultimate is that it it has an impact on everyone's lives. Yeah. On ours, because of the transformational journey we go through, but also it it spreads. Because if I'm being kinder, if I'm being more vulnerable with other people, that is, you know, invites vulnerability back, for example. Yeah, and you can kind of feel it how that will happen, you know, how the more coaches are doing this stuff we've been talking about more than being trapped in algorithms, yeah. the more they are in, like like we said before, inviting, you just said, inviting the vulnerability in someone else, allowing it, at least in that space. And we develop, you know, I often think one of the things that happens in coaching is that people develop a set of skills by being coached, which serve them, you know, as Claire said, movingly, in other moments of their life. And so I can I can can really imagine that. I can also really imagine that you know this would be a great book for if you've got a leader who's interested in coaching, they could still pick up this book. You know, even if they're not coaching people in the way that uh, like we might in our one-to-one coaching, and you know it'll pr- improve all their meetings. Um, you know, you know, really paying attention to the dance and and the music. Uh, and the partnership in a meeting, you know, every, everyone knows that almost all their meetings could be improved. And that's the book has some of the things to do that. How, how about you, Claire? What, what what's the what's the way you'd like your book to improve or inform or, or change the world in a big? Well, I think the world picture? is changing, and I think I think it. You know, we've been writing this book for three years, and now in the last six months, is it that we just see everything around humanity, or is it that people are talking about humanity more? I think people are talking about humanity more. I'd like it to be the human behind the leader, the human behind the manager, the human behind the salesperson, the human behind everything. That's your next 10 books. That's like, that's the series. Yeah, I, we talked about that. I don't think there are any more books in it. Re- repackage the same book. Just just, just put the just put a different different um, cover on it and just sell a few more. It's, I, I like the idea, but no, I... But, you I know, know people you make their own meaning. So I'd love anybody to read it and make their own meaning in their own context because I think they can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about Lucia? What's what's next for this work? Can you tell us a bit? I know there's some things that you're 
you're already creating there's like claire's mentioned it the course what's what's where's this all gonna go for the two of you or, or individually or separately next we are uh, launching a level three pilot in december uh it's based on the book and it is a nine month journey that helps people become more artful and bring more humanity in their coaching um and so this is one thing and i don't know i don't know what else i'm in uh, personally i'm exploring um humility in supervision so as part of my um individual reflection i'm i'm writing an essay on how humility can impact a supervisory relationship but yeah i don't know i guess we're comfortable not knowing yeah <laughs> what, <laughs> what yeah. else will come next we'll yeah. see yeah yeah um yeah so interesting and I, I guess we're coming towards the end of the time Lucia is there anything that we from the book or from the conversation or, or that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure we get time to do before we before we finish um no I don't think so I feel quite complete it was a lovely chat thank yeah. you it's, it's been great it's flown by how, how about you Claire anything that we I got actually a couple of things on my list that we haven't really talked about um including podcast rankings um that you put in your, talk, <laughs> your talking point so we can talk about that but is there anything more, more we started with chair so we shouldn't we can also end with something more meaningful so than, than podcast the, rankings the chair is Herman Miller oh nice great stuff uh <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you could put um, Lucia's husband's art website on the show notes. Would love to, because yeah. Because we, I, I, I was with Lucia and Marco when he took a photograph, and by the next morning he painted this most extraordinary picture. <laughs> so he does speed painting, like speed coaching as well. Thank um, you for that. Uh, so please put his his yeah, website we, on we the thing. Will. But podcast rankings, well, yeah, well, before we get to that, Claire, is there anything else like more important that you want to talk about before we finish? Anything else that we haven't kind of, uh, we haven't covered? Well, you and I are going for a walk in 10 days' time. We are. So let's talk about that a little bit coaching walks. I think perhaps we should do a little mini podcast from the hill, which I think about every time I go for a walk with you and forget yes. every time. We said we should have done that the first time. I think it's also nice. Sometimes <laughs> I remember reading, I can't remember who said this, you know, the problem with the 21st century is I only meet up with my friends when I, when they come on my podcast or I go on theirs because everyone's time is so, so weird, which is why people need humanity, right? Why that's everywhere because we're in this, this weird thing, but we, yeah, we, that would be fun. We should definitely do that. We should at least take a picture. Yeah. Um. So I think the coaches walking community is worth talking about because, because Robbie and I went for a walk when we realized we lived in the same place and on the walk you and I discussed how amazing it would be and what a beautiful thing it was just to be together and talk about just talking things um and each time we've walked it's been deep and meaningful actually very deep and very meaningful but it's been human to human conversation and so we just laughed didn't we and said well what if we got a few other people to come with us so we did that and then we put a picture on LinkedIn and then other people in other parts of the country said they'd like to do it and we said we'll start your own so we've started there's a group called coaches walking on LinkedIn uh where we publicize our most special walks in Worcestershire the, the next one ones, is on yeah. the 4th of November uh and we'll be walking in the Malvern Hills but actually you know Lucia if people in Italy you know in in Puglia want to do one you know anywhere in the world you can you can start it and there's a beautiful one now in the north 
southwest of England uh, who are in competition because they they get theirs more sorted than we get ours. But I have now handed over the sorting to somebody who's better organised than I am. So ours will now be regular. Uh, and we've also heard about other people walking, other coaches groups walking in other parts. Yeah, the southwest and the southeast of England, I think we've we've, yeah. we've had them. But it's just a great way to be human. No selling, no upselling, no posturing, just ordinary, human, beautiful conversations. Including sometimes people getting the time wrong by an hour. When I say people, I mean me. And, and But still managing through the magic of technology to find using WhatsApp location sharing to catch up with the group. Although I was really tired carrying probably at the time. 13 kilo Leah up up the steepest path of the hill to try and cut the cut the corner to where you were but it's, it was a good workout yeah it's a very powerful thing and I think there's a I, I don't think it's just you and the book that has this humanity thing I mean I guess I would expand it to like the walking isn't just about um humanity it's also about the 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 natural world um I just think like so many amazing things like being able to record coaching so easily about the fact that we're all working more online and remotely. And so one of the tricky things is not being connected to place nearly, nearly as much. Um, so coaches walking, yeah, check out, we'll link to the LinkedIn group in the show notes and I'd love to see some more people at the, at the Worcestershire one. Um, and fun if more people start them up, it's, it's lovely to see. And I really admire Claire, the way you um, took that energy from that first conversation we had and just made it a thing seemingly effortlessly and then the world just did its its bit where people took that leadership and have have yeah have sparked them up in other places too um yeah is there anything else we we didn't really get into the the writing retreat which i'm a bit sad about so so give us a headline one of you about i saw some pictures i think um but like give us a headline about was it just one that you did in in italy well there was uh, two actually in italy both of them the first one was in on Lake Garda, and that was the, the it was a messy piece, right? We had to chop. <laughs> we had a fun fun phase when we had to chop our chapters and decide where to plug the exercises and the reflection points and all of that. <clears throat> I had to persuade Lucia that cut and paste actually means paper and scissors. And she went, <laughs> "Really?" And I'm going, "Yes," because what we'd done was we'd write we'd written the right book but it was all in the wrong place <laughs> yeah. and then there was another one to polish you know uh the, the final bits uh in in the south of italy where i am in puglia lovely oh, yeah. yeah i remember claire saying that she you know knew straight away that practically it had to be in italy like that just for for business and creativity purposes it was vital that she got to go on a professional <laughs> professional trip to lake garda um and uh, yeah, I think that the, I imagine that to co it sounds like one of the things, the reflections I have from having spoken to you and I, I kind of, from knowing Claire, I would have been surprised if this wasn't true, but it really feels like a co-written process. And it sounds like that writing retreat or those writing retreats were vital in actually doing that in being able to be literally creating this thing together rather than sometimes in these things, of course, I'm sure you did divide up the, the, the kind of what grunt work of the writing in different ways at different times, but to be able to actually have something that's written, written in genuine partnership. Again, it's probably like really important for what the book is about, that that's, that that's true. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, Claire, we need to talk about the fact that, um, so I, 
I wasn't sure if you were serious about this, but I uh, regular listeners will know that I, I asked guests for talking points. And the bottom one of Claire's was, uh, why is the coach's journey ranked in the global top 5% of podcasts and the coaching in ranked only in the global top 10% of podcasts? Claire, I would like to say that means that you are ranked higher than about, there's 3.2 million podcasts. So that means that you're, you're ranked higher than about 3 million podcasts. I um, do appreciate that, but I am. the reframe. I have, I have a comms person now. Uh, yeah, well, you, you're definitely <laughs> going to overtake that. Um, but I, I, I was really, I was genuinely quite surprised by that because I had always assumed that uh, the reason the coach's journey isn't higher is because it's only monthly. Um, albeit more on that next time, team, listeners. But um, so you're going to have to, yeah, your comms person is going to have to work hard because I think we're going to do some things on the coach's journey next year, which might might push it even higher. But we'll have to wait and see. Because wow. I, I had a look at their, their really vague, the website, what they call listen notes, I think yes. they're called, that, who have this ranking thing. You can go and check out podcasts and find out if they're in the top one or two or five or 10% of podcasts globally. But they don't say anything about how they work that out. So um, they, they say, if you want, you know, want your thing to go higher, make your podcast more popular. It's like, well, that's, I don't know what that means, do I? But it means that people can't game the algorithm quite as We're much. trying putting transcripts up so that people who want to read and so we tried that with a few, and we're going to see what that does. That's a cool idea. Yeah, I always get people pitching me that that service. Um, Claire and Lucia, it's been such a pleasure to have this conversation. It's absolutely flown by. Um, we'll put links to lots of the things we've talked about in the show notes. They'll be wherever people are listening, also at thecoachesjourney.com. Um, we'll include the link to the buying the book, and there's the website is is it's is it thehumanbehindthecoach.com? Yeah. Or human behind, yeah, the human behind the, the human behind the coach. Um, and it's a lovely looking website. Like I said, that makes me envious uh, of a newly designed website. Um, is there anything else that you want to say before we we sign off from this conversation? Well, Pete, we'll we'll give you the link that you can put in the show notes if people want to come to the launch party. Because uh, to be human, it's not geographically located that makes any particular place special. Uh, it's uh, open to anybody um, and you can share that with your lovely listeners and it's on Monday the 13th of November it's great stuff so yeah still time to sign up for that when you're listening to this um, and yeah I hope to be able to be there toddlers allowing and um, you're going to also be invited to my little sneaky face-to-face one in Malvern oh I'd Robbie. love to do that well I'm very I feel very honoured um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that um, maybe uh, like you joked on the like you said Claire on the coaching in when you two had a conversation surely you also need to invite me to the one in Puglia um, but uh, <laughs> whether I'll be able to make that I don't know but um, yeah Claire and Lucia it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show and best of luck with everything to do with the book and the course and everything else thanks for having us thank you thank you for having us it's been fun hello Robbie here again A couple of quick things before you go on to whatever else you've got going on in the rest of your day. Uh, And that is, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then you might be interested in becoming a supporter of the Coach's Journey podcast or joining the Coach's Journey community. Both of those are ways to support the show, help it continue, help it reach more and more people, but they also give you other things that you might be interested in. If you become a supporter, which is paying a small amount of money every month, then you'll get advance notice of guests, perhaps the chance to ask questions of guests, um, depending on what membership level you have, and and more monthly video updates from me, all kinds of other bits and pieces. 
And if you join the Coach's Journey community, then you get all of that. Plus, you get to be part of a group coaching program led by me um, and attend group coaching calls up to 10 times a year, have one-on-one coaching with me and be part of a community of coaches who want to create thriving coaching businesses and thrive as people while they do it. And um, one of the members said recently that the word that keeps coming up in the members WhatsApp group is beautiful to describe those calls. And so um, I'd love to have you there on one of those calls. Um, and as a member of the community or a supporter of the show, it'd mean the world to me and it helped me to keep doing this thing that I love to do and that many, many people have told me is really helpful for them. So thanks very much for listening and hope to have you back with us on the Coach's Journey podcast sometime soon. 